This episode of Dubiology is dedicated to the ultimate Swifty, the best Swifty I know. Thank you for inspiring this episode, Olivia. Enjoy. Hello, welcome to Dubiology. This edition of your favorite podcast, because I know it is, is another album review. Well, technically it's our first album review if you're not counting my Deftones episodes. What album am I covering? Well, you kind of clicked on the video, so you know the title, you idiot. Why would you ask me that question? I mean, sorry, you guys you guys don't know what album I'm reviewing. I'm so sorry for the inconvenience. Today, I'll be reviewing a Taylor Swift album. It is 1989. 1989 is T-Swift's fifth album, released on October 27, 2014. Taylor started off as a country artist, as many of us know, but after Red's release in 2012. Many music critics started questioning whether she was country or pop. Is she country? Is she pop? What is she? Is she a country star? Is she a pop star? She can't make up her mind. So T-Swift was like, all right, y'all, let me show you how it's done. 1989 was co-produced by Max Martin, and the album finally transitions Taylor into the pop star we know her as today. It has elements of 1980s synth pop that also gives the album a very unique, satisfying sound. It's among the best of Taylor's catalog. It is also titled 1989 due to the fact that Taylor was born in the year of 1989, and this album is also an artistic rebirth for her as well. Critics have long praised the album for its raw emotion, sorry, and also its very catchy melodies. Many of the singles rock. I just want to point that out right now. Many publications have reviewed the album and rated the album among the best not only in Taylor's catalog, but of the 2010s, and some even of all time. I would have to agree with them on that one. In this episode, I will cover the album's premise, the fantastic singles released for it, the production, and I will also go over the album's legacy and accolades that has accumulated over the years. I guess I have a blank space on the paper. I don't have any names to write, but are we ready to get started? Let's go. To begin our opening segment, T-Swift started off as a country singer, as many of us know, and a pretty great one at that, to be honest with you. When Red was released in 2012, it incorporated styles of pop and rock. The country was still there, I mean, it was labeled as a country album after all, but you could tell that the style that she was doing was transcending her music. Despite a more rock, pop, song, sound, song, sound, blah, 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 sound, Red was promoted as a country artist, as a country artist, I wrote as a country artist in the script, but it's, I meant to say country album, please bear with me. This resulted in more appearances at country award shows, and the highest grossing country tour of all time that was highlighted by Taylor Swift's Red 2012 album, great album not her best. Even with the success of Red, many music critics began to question Smith's status as a country artist. And by music critics, I just mean country critics who think that the country genre is the greatest genre ever created, and that nothing is wrong with the country genre, and there is no one who's definitely not racist, not people like Morgan Wallen or anything like that. How could he ever be racist? He's a good human being. He would never be racist. Sorry. Right after the commercial and critical success of Red, Taylor began working on her fifth studio album, Woo Woo! Early on, she described the project as departing from her country pop experiment. What people were thinking, maybe it's a pop album. Maybe it's going back to her original country roots. Maybe it's a rock album that was set in the modern day. Hmm. This was actually stuff that people speculated before this album came out, by the way. Right from the get-go, she constantly mentioned how the album was heavily inspired by A.D. Simpson's pop. There's your answer. It's an 80s pop album. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. Strap in for that. Taylor described the 1980s as an experimental period that embraced endless possibilities when artists, also known as musicians as the time, you know, flowed along. Because, you know, they're artists now, they're considered music, considered an art. But musicians in the 80s. It was when artists abandoned the generic drums, guitar, bass, whatever song structure and experimented with stripped down synthesizers and drum pads and overlap vocals. This was coded by Taylor herself uh, in 2015 before the release of Red. Not Red, sorry, 1989, but 1989 wasn't announced as the studio album's name yet. So Taylor was really speculating with the media. She was getting a big reaction from people. Go Tay Tay. Um, it was one night at four o'clock in the morning, actually, where a title came into her mind for the album, 1989. Why is it called 1989? Well, since this album is based off the classic 80s synth pop sound, Taylor used the name to also base it off the year she was born in, you know, 1989, also known as the last year of the 1980s, also known as the time when the world also started to collapse and nothing was ever the same. Uh, along with the realization of the album's name, she also decided it would be labeled as a pop album. Taylor was taking a risk here. A big risk. Is she a pop? Is she a country? What is she? Is she a pop artist? Is she a country artist? What is she? Oh my god, make up your mind. The intention of Taylor proving the haters wrong and also showing it to her critics has been a constant theme with her projects and her career. With these, I mean, with this album, Taylor goes on above and beyond by using 1989 as a reinvention not only of her style, but also her career. Dig this reinvention payoff? Wait, dig this. Dig this. Yep. Did this reinvention payoff? Dig this. Well, I think it paid off. I think 1989's a good album. I think everyone can agree with that. 1989 is a great album, guys. But you're not here for my opinion, really. You're just here to listen to this review, which is my opinion. I don't know what I'm ranting on about. Let's just, just end this segment. This is getting bad. I know I don't put multiple ads in episodes, but this is pretty important. This is like a little personal thing. Just a heads up if anyone didn't know, I started a new fund for the Breast Cancer Awareness Month for 2022 titled Doobie for Boobies because I support Tatas all over the world. Doobie for Boobies is a breast cancer fund that I started at the beginning of October of 2022, and it will be a charity on GoFundMe, and all the funds will be donated to the Iowa Breast Cancer Action Education Foundation. A lot of people worldwide do not know about the dangers of breast cancer, and we have lost people to breast cancer all across the globe. Together, we can kick breast cancer's butt. The link for the GoFundMe will be in the podcast episode description below. Everything will be available there. Please, donate. That's Doobie for Boobies, because we, together, can support Tatas all over the world. The album 1989 has 13 tracks off the bass, also known as the standard edition, while the deluxe adds on additional six, almost a three. That's a different deluxe edition. Why do albums have so many editions nowadays? Like, no, I don't want to buy a Led Zeppelin album from 45 years ago that has 85 different tracks from studio recordings. No, thank you. Why are you doing this to me? Since this album is mostly a tribute to 80s pop, Swift intentionally arranged and strayed away from hip-hop on R&B, not on R&B, and R&B elements for uh, 2014's mainstream music structure. She didn't want to be like her co-peers and all those people using all these these 2014 hip-hop and R&B beats to get mainstream singles. How gross. 
Ew. 1989 was a dramatic change in pace for other, um, from other Swift albums, considering it was, you know, a 1980s-inspired album. And it was a completely different genre of music as well. For, like I said before, the first to be labeled a pop art, art, artist, ah, pop album for Taylor. Even with the big changes, Taylor's storytelling still remains her strongest distinction from the other artists. The other artists. A big feature of Red's songs on Heartbreak relate to... Uh, Hostility and the theme of villainizing her ex-lovers, which to be fair, some of them are like bad people. Like, come on, Jake Gyllenhaal. Really? Like, you're a really good actor, man. But what you did was messed up. Really messed up. Now you're like the biggest villain. Not only the Swifties, but just the world in general. I haven't seen a Jake Gyllenhaal movie in a while. Sorry. My fault. 1989 is more hopeful with the theme of nostalgia when it comes to previous relationships and maturing. You can tell on this album that Taylor is maturing from her previous relationships, growing out of it, getting a sense of, hey, I'm cool. I'm like the biggest star in the world right now. I'm America's sweetheart, baby. I don't need these people in my life. I'm going to do my own thing. But a big feature of that was just the whole theme of 1989 is obviously being a pop album, it's moving on and it's reflecting on 80s pop in general where a lot of songs written about heartbreak and love are maturing from relationships and growing out of that stuff. Um, Swift also matured and has showed a wistful appreciation to all the hurts she experienced in the past, as I mentioned. I'll get more on that in the conclusion. Swift herself said in an interview for the album with NPR that she wrote mostly about heartbreak on pain that was caused by someone else and felt by her. On 1989, the songs are mostly complex narratives, where the blame is 50-50. Some of it's Taylor, some of it is the ex-lovers, unless you're Jake Gyllenhaal. 1989 also arguably contains some of the best singles that she's ever released. Welcome to New York is the opening track of the album, and it's an introduction on the newborn Taylor Swift. It's also just a song to reflect on her, you know, life in New York, because she moved to New York for this album to record and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just the newfound freedom in the Big Apple. Blake Space is one of her most famous songs, and it's got a nice up-temp beep and that stays consistent throughout the song. Its theme is basically just Swift's public relationships being publicized so much. Oh, she's crazy. That's why all of her ex-lovers leave her. She's so crazy. But it stays consistent throughout the song, the message, and the media is also perceiving them as her gathering ideas for her songwriting. You know, the breakups and relationships. Like, if I date this famous celebrity, maybe I'll get a song I can write about them, and then I'll take over the world like an evil corporation known as Umbra. Sorry. The music, also, um, the music video is also of legend, and I would definitely recommend a watch for it. My favorite song off of the 1989 album, which was also an instrumental use in the intro, is the excellently, excellently produced Style. Style is a funky electronic song that's inspired by a lot of Daft Punk work. Daft Punk's work? Daft Punk work? Okay. The lyrics of the song are about an unhealthy relationship, despite the production's very upbeat and powerful synthesizers. A lot of people mistake it for a happy love song, even still. Many critics consider Style a non-outlier and one of the best songs Taylor Swift has ever written. I would have to agree. It's probably in my top three. Out of the Woods has the most synth-pop elements on the album, and the song represents one of her past relationships that speaks a lot about anxiety in Swift's life. All you had to do was stay. It's a strong pop song about persuading an ex-lover to stay against their um, their will. It displays the fragile relationship really well. I think it's a very good album. Album? album song on the album. It's a good album outlier. That's what I meant to say. Now, we get into the big ones. Shake It Off is where things get really spicy on this album. 
It's a dance pop song that I like to describe as a more positive and uplifting sequel to the Blank Space video, or just Blank Space in general. Critics originally thought the single to be too weak. The message was great, the production was great, but the lyrics were just cringy. But soon, retrospectively, Shake It Off became one of Swift's signature songs, probably her signature song, and a song that solidified her as a pop star, in my opinion, and in a lot of people's opinions. It was like her biggest hit in 19, 1989, in 2015. I just remember turning on the radio and hearing the song every single day, and it got annoying, but it comes back to you. It's an effective way to kick off the era after the preceding country albums, and it is a pop classic in my opinion, my personal, professional opinion. Bad Blood is another single that had a lot of commercial success, not really critical success, it was mixed, it had a lot of mixed reviews, the single at least, that was off the 1989 album, not the remix, I'll get more into that later. The song is about an unnamed villainous protagonist of the song, but, okay, just please ignore that grammar issue. The song was presumed to be about the feud that she had with Katy Perry around the time, two of the biggest pop stars throughout the 2010s. Uh, Taylor Swift and Katy Perry had a highly publicized feud in the 2010s. Both pop stars were in the midst of their prime when they started feuding around 2013, 2014 when Taylor was producing this album. Katy Perry just finished one of her most critically acclaimed albums. It's not Teenage Dream or anything. I'll do a review on that soon, but it was a really good album. Sorry. Um, Katy Perry took shots at Taylor, I guess, and Taylor didn't take too kindly to that, and they had this little public beef, but I think they released a song, not together, but Taylor Swift released a song where it's like, hey, it's over, we're not feuding anymore, we're cool people, love both of our music, please, please. But it's assumed to be about Katie. I don't think it is. Both artists have denied that it's about them. Blood Blood also has a killer remix that features famous rapper Kendrick Lamar. Go listen to it. It's such a good remix. Wild with Streams is another Swift favorite of mine, and one of the one of the best one with the most critical acclaim as well. The song is describing an affair with this unsupposed un- untrustworthy and unfaithful man. Jesus Christ. It also describes a sense of nostalgia and lust for an, impe- an impending ending relationship. Even when it's all over, the lovers will reunite and remember each other for the good moments they had. You can get the girl has a nice power pop bubblegum pop hidden tune tune hit tune hit tune to it yeah the song that takes about takes about talks about taylor's possibility with reuniting with an ex-lover this love has a soft rock and almost sort of yacht rock sound feel to it i don't know it's similar to some of taylor's earlier country works in my opinion i know places is the pre-ultimate for the standard edition of the album the pre-ultimate is usually the second to last song on the album it is about persuading and preserving a toxic, unstable relationship. It is described by Swift as a loose sequel to the Out of the Woods single. Clean is the closer, closer, the closer, about escaping a toxic relationship once and for all that is also addictive. I won't talk too much on the deluxe editions of the album outside of the, uh, the song New Romantics, which is one of my favorite Taylor songs. It's 1989 had a lot of good songs. New Romantics is a song about the new romantic cultural movement of the late 70s and early 80s. If you don't know what that is, it was a movement where people started to dress weird. They had these punk rock uh, sort of goth looks. They started dressing out of the norm. Everybody was like, hey, that looks cool. So they incorporated it into thrash metal, hair metal, rock metals. So if you see bands like Guns N' Roses or uh I guess Motley Crue, Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses, Def Leppard. They're wearing these goth rock, punk rock, op- even The Clash, I would say. They have all these albums, albums, all these outfits where they're just rocking it. It's like, you guys don't like it, don't care. Could not care less. We're cool. You're not. This is the 80s, baby. 
the new romantic movement is what I like to describe as the start of the 1980s because it was kind of a movement that went into the 1980s decade. I like to think of the song as a true closer to the 1989 album. Deluxe edition, standard edition, doesn't matter. As Swift is looking more for hope after the emotional breakups of the past. It is widely considered one of her best songs and is con um, contained and is certainly the most lively and energetic of the album. Deluxe or edition of the deluxe or edition. Deluxe or standard. That was really the singles release for the album. I think they're all really good. How about its conclusion? How did this album do on charts? Was it was it good? Was it bad? I mean, Stairless Swift was good, but we're still going to talk about it. Nineteen eighty nine has received generally positive reviews from critics alike, and has been one of Swiss' more commercial albums, even to this day. This day being twenty twenty two, October 9, twenty twenty two, October tenth. Is it the tenth? I think it's the tenth. I don't know when this episode is being released. I've lost track of time. Our end of days is appending. Maturity and raw felt emotion in the album really captures the vibe that Swift is breaking free of any boundaries that critics put on her. The themes on love and heartbreak is, are monumental and very strong. You genuinely feel what Swift is feeling and going through on the tracks like Wild the Streams and Clean, but you can feel her upbeat tempo and her aspirations and enthusiasm in songs like Shake It Off or Style. The craziest part about Swift's songwriting on this album is that it's not even her best. She's barely even reached her prime. Later on Folklore, another great album that rocks, I'll do more on that later, it has its best lyricism and songwriting from Swift. It's knocks it out of the park when it comes to lyricism and songwriting from this album too, but Folklore is just on a different level. Folklore is still the second greatest Swift album because this is the first. It's on 1989 where these elements come into play, however. The synth-pop production really glistens. The production is unlike anything Swift has done to this day, and I really applaud her for what she was able to translate her country sound to that that contained those pop elements fully into pop that didn't even make sense um what i meant to say there was she translated her country sound so fluently that you barely even notice that it's a pop album because her pop sound was always relevant throughout her old country albums flip the page as you can audibly hear the album's legacy is still felt today because 1989 turned swift into a pop icon in my opinion and the released singles on the album were heavily played on the radio from mid-2014 to late-2015. They're still played a lot today. 1989 is also a special album to me, as it was one of the first albums I bought with my own money in the summer of 2015. A great summer. Great, great year in general. I listened to it frequently in my mother's car, and while I was warming up for hockey and golf. Weird album choice, I know. Growing up, the message resorted well with me. It also restated with me. The transition from country to pop so effortlessly from Swift motivated me to work harder in my classes and ignore any critics I had, weirdly enough, I don't know how. Today, I cite 1989 as one of my favorite albums, and most certainly my favorite from Swift. Not only that, but I consider it one of the best albums ever produced and made. Only in someone's wildest dreams do they think an album like Folklore is better. If you think that, then you might have some bad blood with me. I mean, seriously. I wish you would say that to me in my face. These opinions are just not my style, you know? But I guess I just have to shake it off. You, know, you guys get the point. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode. That was a really bad way to end it. You can make fun of me later. Thank you for tuning in to Doobiology this week. 
If you have any questions or concerns or you want to listen to more of this podcast, please check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, and Red Circle. If you want the social media outlets, for Instagram, it's Dubiology2022. For Snapchat, it's also Dubiology2022. Thank you for listening to this episode once again. Have a good day, evening, morning, whenever you're listening to this. Bye.